series which we've called Impacts, where we are looking at the book of Acts and how it can and should impact us as individuals and impact us as a church. And so we're just going to do a little recap now to check that you've all been listening for the last few weeks. And you'll remember me saying that Acts was written by Dr. Luke. Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke was a doctor. He had quite a scientific way of thinking. And so the book of Acts has been found to be very accurate in some of the descriptions that he gives of the maritime journeys and the people and the places and so on and so forth. So we're quite confident in this account that Luke gives us. And he reminds us at the start of Acts that he's already written a book about everything that Jesus did when he was on this earth among us, uh, starting with his, the beginning of his ministry and ending when he went up into heaven in his resurrected body. And we said Luke's two, Luke's, Luke chapter, you know, version two, which is the book of Acts, the biggest change is what? Jesus' body. Jesus has got a new body. So in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is walking around on the earth uh, doing miracles and amazing things and teaching and raising up his disciples. And then by the time we come to the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And now he has a new body, which is us, the church. The church is not the building. It's us, the people. And we are Jesus' new body. And we have been left to get on with this job of carrying on Jesus' mission. We're on a mission. We're not just sitting around waiting to go to heaven. We're on a mission, and we can only do that mission with the help and empowering of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that was what we talked about, and um, we said that we would uh, look at together what the early church looked like in the book of Acts, the very beginning of the new church that Jesus intended to carry on his mission. And so, so far, we've looked at five results the church saw, which were signs and wonders. That was two. I was being a bit creative there. Signs and wonders. Can you remember them in order? That was growth was number five. Favor with people. And we said that meant people don't have to like us and people don't have to agree with us, but our lives should at least be attractive to unbelievers. There should be something about us and the way we live that is attractive to other people. And then there was the one in the middle, which was provision. The believers in the early church saw God's amazing provision to them. And then last week, we looked at five things the early church did, which were... We said they were winning people regularly, people were being baptized, and there's still an invitation there if you have not been baptized to come and speak to us because we would like to have another baptism service in the very near future. So don't let that pass you by. We said they were baptizing and winning souls, and we said they were listening to the teaching and not just listening but putting it into practice, sharing fellowship together breaking bread together, and we reminded you that you don't have to have a priest or a vicar or a pastor present to break bread and to share the Lord's Supper together. And the final thing they did was 
pray, they prayed. Fantastic. Can I just ask, has anybody changed anything that they've done in the last two weeks as a result of that teaching? Some of us. Okay, that's good. Um, Anybody want to say anything, share at that point? John and Jill? You're breaking bread regularly in your home. That's great. Someone came to me and said, I felt really inspired to tidy where I live so that it could be more attractive to bringing people in. That's a really practical response. You're having more people to have dinner with you. And I've found people breaking bread more in all sorts of different contexts and so on. Okay, well, if you didn't put your hand up because you haven't made any changes in your life, it is not too late. We get another bite at it this morning. And if you didn't make any changes because you didn't really catch what I was saying, you know, come and sit down here. I can eyeball you a bit more. You can sit on the, lie on the floor so long as you don't go to sleep. I, I really want you to receive this today, not because it's me, but because it's God's word that's here to help us grow and become all that we should be. Okay, what were the phrases we looked at that were really important? You've heard them this morning already. We said it was all the church each day. This is not a Sunday morning once an hour thing, and we were saying we are definitely uh, an all each day church, not a Sunday morning meeting that we go to. And what else did we say last week about how we expressed church? It was in the temple and it was in the home. It was not just in the church building. It's both and, not either or. We want to be together, to be motivated and equipped and encouraged to go and do the mission of Jesus. And then we want to be in our homes as well. Because, listen... Okay, you can bring someone to church on a Sunday morning, right? But by and large, unbelievers do not just wander in off the street into our church meeting. If you don't bring them, they're not going to walk in through that door. Is that fair? But they might walk into your home and come to your home more readily. We need both places to be places that are filled with the presence of God and where people can experience something of Jesus, they're both important. Okay, and I've sort of kind of finished last week by saying, are we prepared to do the things that the early church did in order to see the results that they saw? And today, we're going to look at the five attitudes that they did those things with. So let's read the passage again, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 47. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, (laughs) strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship 
those who were being saved. Lord, as we just look at this last um, message in this season of looking at Acts, I really pray it would touch our hearts. Lord, don't just, um, we don't just want to listen to it or take notes. Good though that is, Lord. We want it to touch our hearts and change our lives. We want to be the church that you've called us to be. So uh, right now, we just uh, look at you. We still our spirits. We open our hearts to receive from you today. Amen. Here's the thing. God is incredibly interested in our attitudes. We live in a culture that's much more interested in the outside. It's much more interested in how we look, how we present ourselves, whether that's on social media or just sort of any old way. Our society is interested on the outside of people, but God is interested on the inside of people. He looks at the heart. There's a passage in the book of Samuel. It's 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to look at it for yourself. When the prophet Samuel is told to go and anoint a new king to replace King Saul, who has not been a good king after God's heart. And Samuel goes to Jesse, uh, 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 Jesse's home, and Jesse has a big family, and one of these boys is going to be the king. And so he, all the boys come along, one after the other, and they're handsome and tall and all of this. And every time God says, it's not that one, it's not that one, they go through seven of them. And in the end, it's David, the youngest of all, who's the one that God has got his hand on. And David is, the, is just a youth. He's out looking after the sheep, whereas the older brothers are much more, I suppose, professional. They were fighting in the army and so on. But David was the one that God chose. He looked at his heart, not at the outward appearance. And it actually says, uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. This is God talking to Samuel and reminding him. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's looking at the inside more than the outside. It's inside out to the way we think, which is a great way to sort of think if you're having a bit of a fat day or something, you know, remember it's the inside that counts, not the outside. But we can look great on the outside and say all the right things, but inside it can be a different matter. Some years ago, I was trying to remember uh, quite when this story took place. We were in uh, Colombia with Ben and Karis and our family, and Stella was a little girl. Was she two or three? Two. She was two. And something happened, and you you know how these stories are. I can't even remember what it was that happened to tell you that bit of the story. Ben can remember. You can ask him later. But something happened, and Ben wanted Stella to say sorry. And who knows that, you know, there's a, a, a two-year-old, there is an amazing amount of determination in a two-year-old. And so Ben wanted Stella, quite rightly, to say sorry for what had happened. Well, was Stella going to say sorry? No. We, we had tears. 
We had shouting, we had stamping of the feet, we had some more tears, but Stella was not going to say sorry, and Ben was not going to give in. And Clive and I are sort of standing back in this situation, sort of just praying, Stella, please, just say sorry, will you? Anyway, this went on for how long? (laughs) This went on a long time, half an hour maybe, half an hour. I tell you, it felt like about a week. I'd already started to fast and pray, and I was getting hungry, you know. maybe half an hour, and in the end, Stella said, (laughs) and Ben says, oh, that's okay, well done, Stella, you know, and embraces her and says, that's great, now we can put it right, what happened, and quick as a flash, up goes a little eye, two years old, I did not say sorry, I said Dory. Yes, it's not a real word, and it doesn't count. <laughs> I think, oh, God, please, just change the D for an S, will you, you know? Do something here. Rescue this child. Rescue all of us. Help. Anyway, we got there. It was wonderful. But listen, we can think we're saying the right thing, but inside we're not meaning that at all. Our inside can be very different from what's going on on the outside, and we always all remember that with the scars to show it, I'm sure. So, inside and out, um, it's the inside that really matters, what's going on inside of us. And here's the funny thing. We kind of know that God looks at the inside, And we expect that he hears our inside when we pray quietly. Do you you ever pray silently? You you just pray inside in a situation. You're not actually saying it out loud. You're saying it inside. and, And you expect that God is hearing you, right? You would be right. He is hearing you. He does care about the inside. But then I have found this strange thing in my own life anyway. Maybe you will identify with it. We do not have the same expectation to him being able to read our thoughts when they are not prayers. Are you there? When we think things we shouldn't think, or we think things about people we shouldn't think, or situations, things we shouldn't think, or we look at stuff, or we imagine stuff, or things we shouldn't be imagining, or things we shouldn't be looking at. We think God doesn't see all that. We only expect him to see the inside when we're praying and we say amen and address him personally. But actually, God is interested in the inside of us all the time, every day. Please say amen, somebody. (laughs) Yes, or you can start repenting anyway, whatever you feel like doing. But listen, Psalm 139 says, You know when I lie down and when I get up, you know my every thought. God cares about our attitudes. And he's not trying to beat you up about them, but he wants you to redeem them. He wants to bring his salvation to them. He wants to bring Christ-like character on the inside. It's inside out. So um, if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, it's not just what we do. It's what's going on on all of our insides each day. Here's the five things. Ready? Number one, they were devoted. They had an attitude 
of being devoted. Verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread. What does that look like? What does devoted mean? Committed. That's a good word for devoted, to be committed to something. Determined, you could say determined. It's a priority. It kind of means to have a single-minded focus, a fidelity. That means a loyalty and a support toward a certain course of action. It's about being single-minded, committed, to be steadfast, to be faithful. And these are not always very popular concepts in our society. And if you're a parent here today, you will probably have to teach your children those qualities. If you're wise, you will look for opportunities to teach your children those qualities. Listen, parenting is not just about stopping the negative behavior in your children. It's that, that's just scratching the surface. That's the very least. Parenting is about helping and guiding and encouraging and training all the positive character traits that you want to see in your child. Children don't just grow up committed, responsible, steadfast, faithful, and so on. They don't come out the box like that. You have to help them and encourage it in them. So whatever it is you want to see your child become... It's your job to look for opportunities to help that. So, for example, um, when our kids were, were little, um, you, you know how it is. We had three small kids, and they all wanted to do this hobby and that hobby and learn this instrument and that, do that activity, and you can't do all of it. But we used to say to them, okay, you can try this once, but if you choose to go back, then you're going to have to stick at it for at least the year. Oh, you're not going to be able to just do this till Christmas and give up. If you want to be a brownie, you're going to be a brownie for the year. If you want to learn to play the flute, you're going to do it for the year. <laughs> Pardon? She does. She plays the flute. See, Karis plays the saxophone, but you didn't know that. Get her up here on with that saxophone. Richard plays the keys and the guitar. We, but we said, if you're going to do this, we will help you in every way possible. We'll somehow find the money. We'll get you to the lessons, but you are going to stick at it. You're not just going to do it when you feel like doing it, and you're not going to stop just because it gets a bit hard and you don't want to practice anymore, you don't like it anymore, or something better comes along to do on a Wednesday evening, because we want to teach you to be faithful and stick at things, even when it's hard, okay? So these guys had this attitude of being devoted, and that the word in the original Greek has a sort of sense of, it, it's um, being diligent, paying attention to, persevering, and so on. And, the, and it also refers to a boat uh, docked in a harbor, perfectly ready and prepared to sail, Everything ready, everything just that it could go at a moment's notice wherever that captain wanted to take it. And that's how God wants our lives to be. He wants us to have a devoted life in him so that we're ready at any moment to go and do what he asks of us or go where he sends us. So I think all these things should keep us, you know, I could stop there, couldn't I really? That would keep us busy for a little while just doing that. But what are we truly devoted to in our lives? If you're not sure, here's two little tests I'm going to give you today to find out. First of all, here's test number one. What do you do in your spare time? When you have spare time, what do you choose to 
do with it? Do you watch TV? Do you play computer games, shop online, browse Pinterest? Um, I, I once had a card, and I was going to bring it, but I couldn't find it. And, it. and it sort of was a woman, and she was giving this quote, and she said, I want to marry a guy who, when he's grown up, he plays computer games all day long, says no grown-up woman ever. <laughs> yeah, you can clap. It's okay. <laughs> but I couldn't find the card. I'll find it and bring it another time. Okay. Or when you've got some spare time, do you think about how can I invest in my spiritual life? How can I serve God more and love him more or use this time better? Did you know Americans, I I, I could get you to vote on this, but I'll just tell you, Americans now spend an average of 4.7 hours a day looking at social media on their phone. Yeah, 4.7, well, I read it, 4.7 hours, I'm talking from when you wake up to when you go to sleep that night, and maybe in your lunch hour, and things like that, 4.7 hours a day, and that's the average, so some people are presumably kind of, you know, tipping the balance even more the other way, that's a lot of time, you can set your phone to check if you don't believe that you could possibly be doing that much yourself, you can get it to give you a little readout, anyway, so what do you do when you have spare time, second, What do you do when you're under pressure? When you don't have spare time, when you're super busy? Because what we do when we're under pressure is that we tend to keep doing only the things that we really value. We tend to keep doing the things that really matter to us. We somehow find time for those things even when we're under pressure. So what you do when you have spare time or what you do when you're under pressure will show you what you're really devoted to. Our devotion is our default, if you want to remember it like that. We, what, what we default to when we're under pressure or we've got spare time That will show us where our heart attitude really is and what we're really devoted to. See, I I know about you. I always find time to uh, brush my teeth, have a wash, get dressed, preferably with some coffee, before I come out. You're not going to meet me in the co-op in my jammies and my slippers. I know it's a bit Geordie, but you're not. I'm not doing it, okay? Actually, I did after Stella was born. I went uh, in the middle of the night. Stella was born at home, and we needed some things. And I went to Tesco's at 2 a.m., and I got to the till, and I did look down, and yes, I was in my slippers. I was kind of mortified. But generally, I'm not, I find the time to get dressed, okay, and washed before I go out, and I expect you do too. So in other words, we keep doing what we really Value. So are we going to be devoted to those five actions that we talked about earlier? Number two, reverent. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Amazement at something beautiful or sacred. Having a consciousness of the holiness of God not wanting to go against his laws and his heart, having a deep sorrow when we sin so that we repent and want to be different. Hebrews 12.8 encourages us, serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
You could turn the page a little bit over from Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 5, you'll read the story of these guys called Ananias and Sapphira. You may remember that story. And they were in the church at the time, and they sold some property, and they uh, wanted to give the money into the offering uh, for the believers. But when it came to it, they didn't put all the money into the offering. They just put some of it, and they kept some for themselves. And um, when the... the Leaders asked them what they had done. They said, oh, yes, we've given all the offering, and they dropped down dead. That's an encouraging word, isn't it? (laughs) Just saying. The point is not that they had to give all their money. The point is that they were deceitful about it. God, they didn't drop down dead because they didn't put all the money in the offering. They dropped down dead because they lied about it. And they said they had done something that they hadn't. They were covering up this attitude in their heart. And actually, listen, if you live in a church and you're part of a church where people start dropping down dead when they don't tell the truth, you will soon get pretty reverent and have a holy sense of awe come upon us. Is that true? It's true. We would. Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. You've got five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Well, listen, if you think people are going to sort of call you out on things, it does focus your mind a little bit to think, I want to clean my life up here. And God still speaks in these ways today. Do you believe that? That's what we're talking about with signs and wonders and so on. I was in a meeting once, and uh, I looked across the meeting, and there was a woman there, and I knew her very well, really well. We were friends, and God just suddenly popped into my heart. She's having an affair. And I, I, could, I honestly, I couldn't believe it. I, I did not, I couldn't believe it, to be truthful. And I'm not going to tell you all the long story of how I managed to sort of go and sort of try and nicely ask her if this was true or not, but actually it was true. It was true. God sees every one of us, and he's not trying to expose us. He wants to make us more holy, more like him, more who he really intends us to be. So there was a reverence in their attitude in the early church that we see there. And Luke reminds us in his gospel, whatever you've spoken in private will be public knowledge. Whatever you've whispered secretly behind closed doors will be broadcast far and wide for all to hear. We don't want to have things in our life that we would be embarrassed if somebody saw them. Or, and because really, it's God we should be embarrassed toward, not one another. We should come to the meeting with a certain amount of holy awe and reverence. Listen, it's the opposite of being too casual and too laid back. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be stuffy. But we want to get it right in God. We don't want to be so horizontal that anything goes either. Okay? We should come on time. Have you noticed we've been trying to start our meeting at 10.30, a little bit snappy-ish and and prompt uh, than we sometimes have been, and we repent and are sorry for when we've not started our meetings on time. But listen, we should be here on time. We want to give our best during worship. We want to involve our children and train them to be part of what's going on and take part in the worship. We don't want to chat during the sermon. <laughs> Actually, in the, Old Test- in the New Testament, it was always the women that were told off for that. But, you know, guys, you can chat just the same. Anyway, we, we want to have this uh, attitude in us where we are here to come before the Lord, to worship him, and where we expect him to speak to us, to encourage us, and challenge us and change us. Okay? 
awe or reverence is a specific response to a specific event, but it's also a general attitude toward God. So you see the disciples there, you know, Jesus stills the storm and they're filled with awe, or when God appears to Paul on his horse, Paul that was Saul, and he's blinded, the people who were with him were filled with awe to a specific event. But then there's a general sense of awe that was among them because God was there and God was present and real and powerful and we're not playing at church. We're really doing this thing. Okay? Proverbs 1 says that the, the right fear of the Lord, having a reverence and awe toward him, is the beginning of wisdom. Here's a quote. We fear circumstances so much because we fear God so little. Who do you think said that? You'll never guess. It wasn't me. As, it sounds like Aslan. Does, doesn't it sound like Aslan? It was Lecrae. I don't know who he is, but, you know, no. (laughs) I do. Um, He said, we fear our circumstances. We're fearful in our lives. We're anxious about things. We're worried about things because we don't have that right for reverence and fear toward God. So if we fear God more and we understand who he is, we won't fear our circumstances so much. Number three, joyful. In verse 46, they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. And there's a sense here that this is an extreme joy they had amongst them, a sense of tremendous happiness. How do we experience joy? Do we just have to wait for it to turn up in our lives? You know, like some days we wake up joyful, the next day we don't feel so joyful. How does that work? Does it depend on your circumstances? Should it depend on your circumstances? Well, you're a bit more clear on that one. I don't think joy does depend on our circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, give thanks. And that has a... um, Along with it, that sense of being joyful. Give thanks for all circumstances. In fact, it doesn't say that. It says, give thanks in in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And actually, the point I wanted to make, that he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. You don't have to be thankful for difficult circumstances, but you do still have to put God on the throne and be thankful toward him, whatever you're walking through. There is a choice to be joyful here. There's a choice to be thankful and a choice to be glad in God, whatever is going on around us. And it's got to be possible. The Bible would not tell us to do it. If it was not possible, the Bible would not encourage us to have that attitude. So how can we help ourselves to make that choice to be joyful? Well, there are some clues back in that passage in Acts. And the first thing I thought when I read it was joy is sandwiched in the middle between praise and worship. They were worshipping, they were joyful, they were praising. It's kind of in the middle there. And worship and praise are not based on how we feel. They're based on who God is. We worship because we're giving him worth. We're giving God the worth that he is due. And so if you want some joy in your life, try a little praise and worship. 
see how it goes. Put some music on. Speak out some appreciation toward God. Tell him you love him. Next time you wake up and you're not feeling joyful, try that. Try some praise and worship. And the word joy in this passage actually suggests some movements. What kind of movements do you think it might suggest? It suggests jumping and smiling, particularly those two things are in there, and speaking joyful words. Seriously, smile. Ready? Smile at the person next to you and see if that makes you feel... (laughs) I'm going to give you marks out of ten here (laughs) for genuine smiles. You know, have a little jump if you can. See if that helps. If you can't jump, keep smiling. Your face kind of tells your attitude to change. You can speak out some happy, joyful words. Anyone know any happy, joyful words? Just speak them out to the person next to you. What a lovely day it is. The sun is shining. Look at that cake we've got waiting for us. How amazing. Any minute now, Sally will finish preaching. Hallelujah. (laughs) See, you feel better already. I'm serious. I'm serious about being joyful. Seriously, smile. It's a precious disposition in life to be joyful. If we don't have joy, someone once said, if we don't have that deep down joy, there is a leak in our Christianity somewhere. So if you don't have deep down joy, maybe there is a leak somewhere in your life. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? But joy is the serious business of heaven. Okay, so what have we had so far? We want to be devoted. We want to be reverent. We want to be joyful. Number four, we want to be generous. We read in this passage, they shared everything they had. They shared their money. They shared their meals with generosity and joy. And I already explained uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago that these were unusual circumstances in some ways, and so it doesn't mean that we have to sell or give away absolutely everything that we own. And if you haven't heard the first two parts of this message, then feel free to catch up. I can't sort of promote, it was me, so I don't want to say you have to catch up because that's a bit self-promoting, but feel free to have to catch up, you know, and hear what we said about this. But the Bible isn't saying you have to sell everything you have and give it away, but it does tell us that God met the needs of the believers with the provision that we talked about being one of those five results that the early church saw. And the Bible tells us that that provision came mostly from among the other believers as they shared generously with each other. Listen, I don't know about you, somebody's going to prove me wrong here, but generally it doesn't rain money down out of the sky or furniture or food or clothes or whatever else it is you need. And please don't just speak up and prove me wrong right now. But generally it does not just come out of the sky That's not where we're looking to. We're looking to God to provide for us, and he usually works through other people to do that. Somebody put that envelope through John and Joy's door last Christmas whose heart God had touched 
to do that, who's someone who wanted to be part of the provision for that family from among us. Amen? Okay. And generous is an attitude before it's an action. It's an attitude before it's an action because the attitude we have will be reflected in how generous we are with our money, with our possessions, with our time, with our families, with our homes, whatever it is. And listen, it is good to be sensible with our money, but we don't want that to be a a bit of a euphemism for saying, "I'm, I'm actually fearful about my money. I'm being sensible. I'm being sensible because I'm fearful. If I give it to you, I won't have enough. So, We don't want to be like that. And this is not a transactional thing, this generosity. What do I mean by that? It's not, well, I will give to you if you will give to me. So I'll do this for you if you do this for me. That's kind of how the world thinks. But we give with no thought of return. It's not if I wash the dishes today, you've got to wash them tomorrow. We, it, it doesn't work like that. It's not a transaction. If, if I give you some, something that you need at this point, I expect to get something back. We are giving because we're giving. And it's a good thing to assess this attitude of generosity. Listen, um, sometimes people say, well, um, I'd really like to be in the team of uh, leadership in this church here. But if you are, who knows that you get challenged? John, some people know, there is a challenge because we want to have the best attitudes. No chatting during the sermon. We want to have the best attitudes and we want to be an example. So if you're part of my team, you can go and ask them. Listen, we pay, we make an offering to God of our tithe that God requires us to do. And most of us do that electronically these days because it's the easiest thing to do. But that's the start of our generosity. God, God asks us for that. Then what we do on top of that is what really shows what's in our heart because we get to choose that bit. We get to, the, the, an offering that we make, we get to choose. And so I'm always saying to my team, and now, see, last week, the people in the city groups were squirming and the city group leaders were feeling great. And now it's the city group leaders' turn. You can squirm because, listen, when we come to the meeting, we should be setting the example in choosing to make an offering. So don't just pass that bucket down the row if you're part of my leadership team because we want to set an example. Amen? Amen. So I don't care if you put in £2, £5, £10, £20. It's not the amount. It's about your heart and your attitude and having a generous attitude. I've said to, um, oh, here we go. I've said to my ladies, listen, when we have something, you know, someone's getting married or having a baby or having a birthday and we all club in because we want to bless them, don't make that an excuse to give less than you would give if you were giving something on your own. Be more generous at that occasion. If you want to club in together and get someone a lovely gift, that's fantastic. And if you were only going to put £5 in, put £5 in. But if you would have given them 20 as a gift on their own and you only put £3 in because it's a club together thing, don't do that. Be generous. Okay? I've got a little um, um, thing here. I put stifle stinginess. It's a kind of... Um, alliterative dissonant assonance or something like that. It's stifle stinginess. Don't let yourself be stingy. If you find yourself being 
ungenerous or stingy, just kill that attitude in yourself. Stifle it. How do you do that? Well, whenever you think you're holding out, just decide to give more of whatever it was that you were holding out on. Pastor Caesar tells a story. Pastor Caesar, you heard us mention him earlier on. He is the pastor in a church in Colombia that um, we relate to. He's our pastor. And he said he was in a church once and there was an offering and he felt he should give an amount. And it was kind of more than he thought he was planning to give, but it came to his mind that he should give this amount. And straight away he said, oh, no, that can't be right. And uh, I I couldn't possibly give that amount. And then he said, I said to myself to my wallet, shut up or I'll give double. (laughs) So there's a thought. Stifle stinginess. Practice being generous. You can challenge yourself to be generous, but remember, it's really about an attitude. And sometimes we choose to do the right thing and our attitude comes into line. But just, you know, I want to be aware of that in my own life. I don't want to be ungenerous. I want to notice what's going on on my inside and when there's an opportunity to give in some way, not just money. Please, I'm not just talking about money today. I don't want you to go away and think that's what we're about. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about being the one that always washes up the dishes in a student house where nobody else bothers and you just want to leave them. I'm talking about being generous in every way that we can. And um, listen, God is a generous God. That's why we want to be generous. He gave his own son to die for you, to die for me, so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. He didn't hold anything back from us. And so uh, we want to have that same generous attitude in ourselves. Number five, finally, of these attitudes that we're looking at in this passage, they were consistent. They were consistent. Verse 47, it says, all the while they were praising God. And in uh, some versions, it says at the beginning, the believers continued to devote themselves. And I've already made the point to you that this is about all of us each day. And um, many people over time have looked at the ingredients that cause a church to grow and be successful and so on. And actually, what they find is the conclusions are that most churches are doing the same kind of things, but the churches that really are seeing God add to them daily are just doing them consistently. They're cutting out the extra things that they don't need to do, and they are consistently keeping on doing the things that they do. They don't give up, you know, or whatever. They keep on doing the things. Consistency means that you give a little bit of time to something every day and you stick with it. And in the same way, we have to give time and attention to the things that we want to change and grow in every day. And I don't know about you, but it's very easy to be consistent tomorrow. Like, if it's a diet or or go to the gym or anything, even reading your Bible and praying, it's easy to be consistent tomorrow. But actually, it only counts if it's today. If the day that you're in is the day that you're consistent, and then when tomorrow comes, that will be today, and you have to be consistent today. So here's a quote for you. You can see if you can guess who says this one. Motivation gets you going. Discipline keeps you growing. He's right. Ooh, he's sharp. 
Uh, ben said, for those of you who didn't hear, he said John Maxwell. John Maxwell is an American who is a very, very gifted teacher and communicator of, about leadership and life and so on, but he's actually a pastor. People forget that he's a pastor. He's not just a conference speaker, and he really has uh, got a heart and a feel for what works in life, and he says, this is the law of consistency. Motivation gets us going, but discipline keeps us growing. Amen? So, five results, five actions, five attitudes. We, we want to be devoted. We want to be reverent. We want to be joyful. We want to be generous. And we want to be consistent. How does that sound? It's a circle. We want to do all of these things. We want to all be doing them each day in the temple, in the home. And if we do these things with the right attitude... If we do the right things, we'll see the right results, and then we'll have the right attitude some more. It kind of it goes around what's like that. And here's my question, just to finish right now. What kind of church do we want to be? We want to, we want to be a church like we read about here in Acts 2. I want to be that kind of church, and I hope that you want to be that kind of church with me because we're all in this together to work for God, to give him glory, and to see the things that, he's, that we see in this passage. We want to see God glorified. We want to see growth. We want to see people added. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to be baptizing people. We want to be a praying church. We want to receive teaching and let it change our lives. And so we want to be uh, doing those things with the right attitude and seeing the things that the church saw. Isn't that, isn't that ex- do you get excited? I get excited when I read that. That's how I want to be. Would you like to stand with me and pray? Lord, I thank you for this passage in the Bible that we've read today. I thank you. It's like a blueprint. It's like a map for us. It tells us how to live. It tells us how to be. And Lord, we, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be an all-each-day church. We want to not be just in this building. We want to be, have the presence of God in our homes. We want to have the Holy Spirit touching our families. We want to be homes that people want to come to and want to be with us. We want to see these things among us. And so, Lord, I pray Lord, that you would look into each of our hearts and help us to be honest with you and help us to uh, just open our lives to you. We know you see our thoughts and our hearts anyway. So we just want to open those vulnerably to you and ask you to help us to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Lord, he didn't come to lord it over us. He came as a servant. He humbled himself even to dying on the cross, Lord. We want to have the same attitudes as he had in his life and as we see in these early believers. So even this week, Lord, stop us short when we're thinking the wrong stuff or having the wrong attitude and help us to turn our attitudes around, to be Christ-like day by day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And listen, if you're not part of this church and you've not really ever thought about church and it's just 
church to you is a Sunday morning meeting that you go to that stops you going shopping or having a lion or something. It's not. Church is life. It's family. It's all week, all the time. God among us. And so if, if, if you've never thought of church like that before and you want to talk to me some more at the end, I'm going to be right over there. Please come and t- tell me what you think. Tell me what you think about what you heard. And uh, apart from that, there's going to be coffee. Joy's coming to remind us of a couple of things. Thank you, Sally. Thank you.